The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by all of my awesome co-hosts. Comrade Nate Heininger. Comrade Laura Nash. The Beast. Shane Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, we are talking about Animal Farm New Horizons. A game with no reference to comrades, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, this is a game with with many. Uh, I don't know if you go with references. This is probably the closest to a pure book adaptation that we've ever covered. We're a book club style podcast, but this is the closest we've ever come to a book club episode on one of the the great classics of literature. Yes, this is an adaptation of Animal Farm, and it's for uh, iOS and Mac PC. And I, before we get into it, there's two reasons we wanted to cover this, and one is. Neriel, who did Reigns, and the other one is mm-hmm. Emily Short, who did the writing. So, interested on both those fronts. But before we get into the game, I'm curious, uh, what was your guys' relationship to Animal Farm and George Orwell and this if you guys haven't figured it out, it's a book. <laughs> yeah, this is this is super strange. It yeah, is. Animal Farm is a uh, so if for some reason you're coming to this without familiarity with Animal Farm, which is entirely possible, it's not taught. No judgment. Yeah, no judgment. It's not taught in every school in America, and I, you may be outside of America where this book is. You know, I believe it's still like popular in the UK, but I have no idea what. Like whether this book is like a a touch point globally, I I really have no idea. But Animal Farm is one of those books that at least in where I grew up gets taught a lot in uh, in the elementary middle school kind of zone in school. Um, if you're not familiar, uh, it is a kind of a fairy tale a retelling or allegory. It's by George Orwell, author of 1984 and many other things that people are probably less familiar with than 1984. Um, And it's uh, it's a retelling of the story of the uh, Russian Revolution and the rise to power of of Stalin and Trotsky and that sort of whole saga. Um, But it's told as an allegory of sort of a farm where the farm is uh, there's a, there's an evil uh, cruel farmer who abuses all of the animals on the farm. The animals rise up, take down the, their oppressive farmer band together under the banner of animalism, uh, a new ideology of, uh, of animal kind and their grand experiment slowly falls apart through a bunch of, uh, predictable and unpredictable circumstances. Uh, it's it's a really weird book, and it's, I think, kind of badly taught, at least where I grew <laughs> up. Like, what was you guys' experience with this book growing up? So even if you've never read the book, you've probably heard either this phrase or something like it, uh, where there's a, uh, the animals establish a law that is, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And if you've, if you've never read the book, like that gives you, 
I think, a good general tone of what this book is doing and what story it's telling. Yeah, there's seven commandments that all the animals agree on at the beginning. And by the end of the book, there's just one. And that is the only commandment. So yeah, um, my experience was at the same school as uh, Reagan and Shane, where we all were forced to read at middle school. And it's a bit of a weird experience because you don't know anything about the rise of Stalinism. You don't know who Trotsky is when you start reading the book. So I remember the first thing the teacher had to do was like snowball equals, like just write down each of the pigs' names and (laughs) who they were. And then we were like, well, those names don't mean anything. So then she had to explain the history of the Russian Revolution. And he wrote the book in 1945. So it's not like there wasn't that many (laughs) years of Russian Revolution to cover. We just don't ever cover anything until the Cold War. So it was like they tried to stick Animal Farm in the curriculum in English to teach us about allegory, but then they had to teach us about history instead the whole class. And there was one kid who was like a communist baby (laughs) and who kept being like – this would all be fine if everyone just listened to Snowball. Like my parents, when they left, like like my grandparents who like left because they were Trotskyists. And we were like, wait, you're the only person in the entire class who understands what this book is about. <laughs> and you're mad the whole time. <laughs> That's pretty wild. <sighs> I wish I had that kid in my class because in my class, nobody understood what the book was about. And I'm pretty confident our English teacher was a, a libertarian who took the view that this book is so it, it, this is all sort of brought back to me because when I first went to go download this game I went to the iOS app store and there's only a couple of reviews and the first one is a <laughs> uh, a review f- who for somebody who left a fairly negative review for I think technical reasons but said that they were glad this game was made to teach a younger generation about the uh the dangers of socialism. And I was the like the evils of socialism right, right, I think it says. The evils of socialism. <laughs> and I had to think for a minute about that. I was like, is this, what is this talking about? I'm confused. And it's not so much that like, I have like, like a super great um, understanding of all of the politics here. You'll have to forgive me because I'm not an expert in the Russian revolution or anything like that. But it, it immediately sent me back to middle school where I think that's basically the view that the Texas education system has of this book um, is that like, you know, this, this book is there, at least when I was a kid, um, this book was taught along with things like like Anne Rand specifically Anthem is a, a book I kind of remember being in this same sort of vibe or or there's a, a short story called Harrison Bergeron by um yes Harrison uh, Bergeron yeah yeah by um by Kurt Vonnegut um and uh, these get these get really celebrated by a certain sort of stripe of uh of uh, anti-communist, but also sort of just generally anti-socialist and maybe even anti-left sort of libertarian style people. And those people are at least fairly well represented in teaching uh, in Texas. So the way this book was taught to me was like, this is why communism is a failure from the get-go. This book is a dramatization of the inherent failures of anything that isn't total free market capitalism and that only unrestrained free market capitalism will ever triumph. Everything uh, everything else is communism and is doomed to fail just as this animal farm was doomed to fail, right? And 
that was the the lens through which I viewed this book for many years. Like this book was about uh, absolute failure of of uh, of the ideology that uh, of, of all of that ideology, and then um, of animalism specifically. Of animalism, uh, it's a complete indictment of animalism. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, it's funny looking back on it because I have a very different view of things like that now. My politics are, I mean, you know, not the politics of a of a Texan middle schooler now. But like looking back on it, it I, I have a very different vibe from this book. And I think that's supported by the fact that like George Orwell was a socialist. He was mourning the the um, betrayal of the revolution. Um, he wasn't mourning the betrayal of free market capitalism. Like that's not what this book was about. Um, Anyway, that, that that's sort of where I came back to playing this game. Like, really, like, made me flash back to how I perceived this book when I was I don't know how old, middle school aged, and it was a really interesting experience, kind of going back to it and thinking about it from a from a different perspective. I frankly don't remember my school, my education around this book. I I know in high school I went through a brief. Orwell phase and read like 1984 twice and read Animal Farm like three times and was really, really into it. Um, but I, I, I'm just going to assume that my, if I was educated on it, uh, rural Missouri is probably not that much different than uh, rural Texas as far as their perspective on things like this. And I, I do have to thank that one kid for being very insistent and correcting everybody every time they said this book is an indictment against socialism, he would say communism. Communism. Right. It is, communism. I mean, there is a because there's there a, a huge, huge difference, difference, and he was right? completely yeah. accurate. But like when the teacher misspoke, when kids in the class misspoke, he'd be like, "No, this is an indictment of communism, specifically right. Stalinism." How easy it is to corrupt communism, right? And how hard it is when this game. Makes you be all the other animals who have no power. <laughs> right. Yeah. So should we move on to talking about the game in particular rather than just the book? I think we should say first, this whole episode, I guess, is a spoiler for Animal Farm and thus a spoiler for this game. Hmm. Right. And by proxy, a spoiler for the Russian Revolution. Yeah. Yes. yeah if you're really if you if you haven't watched, if you still have that TVO'd and you haven't played it back. Mm -hmm. We're going to be we're going to be spoiling what happens to Trotsky. So <laughs> and my sweet, sweet boxer. Oh, oh, that one that that hurt every I was mm -hmm. like, I, I really tried. So the thing I was doing when I was playing this game is the things I remembered and was still mad at 20 years later about Animal Farm. <laughs> I was trying not to have those things happen. And they did anyway. So I yeah, think it's this like, is... No, I can be better. I can run a communist nation. Well, Everyone like, else has done it wrong. I communism but... from the ground up. No, <laughs> you can't. That's the point of the game and the book. So that is um, the spoiler for my uh, enjoyment of the game. But real quick to take a step back. the If you're asking yourself, how do you make Animal Farm game... The answer is they turn it into an interactive storybook, which I used to make for mm -hmm. my job. So they use all the tropes. They have beautiful handmade stuff. They have um, voiceover. They have really um, good voiceover. Really, really good. great voiceover. And they've got this style where you can kind of tap and drag over different parts of the story to find out what you do next. This is all stuff that's incredibly common in actual games for kids, which I think 
ties right into that fairy tale animal farm. But then the decisions you're making are like, who gets murdered? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, another way to think of it. If you have, uh, you know, I thought of a lot of our interactive fiction coverage, right? And it's yeah. essentially a, uh, a choose your own adventure game with a with a wonderful UI. Like it's mm-hmm. like a twine game with a really wonderful UI. Uh, while we're discussing the UI, there there was one challenge that I kind of ran into um, with the UI, which. Laura, you mentioned the the UI rep is a lot of a tap and drag kind of interface, mm-hmm. um, which actually works quite well. Uh, many of, I would say the majority of your time is spent with a uh, kind of bird's eye view of the farm, and you'll see the various different animals appearing there, um, and some kind of event will be taking place. That will be something like maybe the sheep are saying something, I don't know, they say something. something must be done about X, Y, or Z. And then you can mouse around over the various different animals that might be present in the scene. Um, and, uh, well, visually, this interface is really nice because it shows the farm and the current state of the farm. Like, how how close to complete is the windmill? Uh, is it summer or winter? All of that stuff is very beautiful and visual. Um, and then you can mouse over the different animals uh, with sort of a finger-pointing magnifying glass. And then it'll show you... Um, some of the animals with their little portrait and uh, you can tap on them and it'll also show a verb. But one of the kind of odd things about this game is you're not embodying any particular animal. The, the structure here is somewhat confused in terms of what is going to happen when you choose a particular verb. There's certain considerations with like, if I have put my finger over the cow um, and I and the verb that's displayed is the word suffer. Um, who who is doing the suffering? Is the cow the object or the subject of that suffering? Wow, I never had the choice for the cow to suffer. I want to know what happened in your game. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is interesting though, Shane. I had a similar experience. Um, you, basically, they set up like a question, and sometimes you are acting on behalf of like it'll be like okay, the the cows wake up early and they're ready to work and then you get to mouse over like all the different animals and sometimes you are choosing like what are the cows going to do that day are they going to interact with the hens are they going to interact with the goats and then other times you're just like an omniscient you know overlord who's deciding just what like is the next action the farm is going to take and it was that same confusion that led to me selecting the death of boxer (laughs) and I felt, and I felt, and I felt so bad and stupid when I, I like chose, uh, the, the outcome I chose was to trick boxer and the community into think he was going to a vet, but instead he was going to the knacker, uh, to be killed. And I was like, that is the opposite of what I was trying to do. However, Maybe that was intentional. You know, I, uh, I as a a player and a participant in communism, uh, <laughs> meant to do one thing, and it had a completely alternate impact, and altered ended in the death of like our one good person. You know, that's, so that's very reigns. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I think you're like. Because this game makes you want to think it's a 
fun resource management game. Oh, I like I'll make my hens happy and that'll cost me some animalism points, but it'll give me food and it, but it so it masquerades as like a, a as a, as like a farmville thing but then your decisions end up uh in a revolution and you know bloodshed and all these different things that uh, is really interesting and often was not what i was hoping or intending to happen you know i think that's really true because the the thing that i went into this game thinking was like okay this is Underneath the narrative, I thought this was going to be a farming simulator on some level. Yeah, like, same. I thought it was going to be much more system. It's not that it's not systems driven. It's just that the systems aren't really about the farm exactly. Like it, it's there like, are systems about the farm. Sure, sure. I don't mean there to get. Are, yeah, I don't mean to. But yeah. the outcomes are not clear. Can I can I stick with this for a second? Because I I absolutely have to stop and imagine the game that Reagan and I clearly were imagining. <laughs> And I just want to discuss that game for a second. Hypothetical because game. if if there were a hypothetical Stardew Valley where in maybe year two all the humans were killed by the pigs <laughs> um, and the chickens took over, um, like can you imagine the the fun that you might have uh, with with a game like that? Personally, I, I would love. I I really was. I wasn't necessarily expecting a farming sim. In this game, um, but when I heard they were doing a f- an Animal Farm video game adaptation, that's immediately where my mind went, and I was yeah. kind of hoping. For that. Imagine like uh, I was really into Zoo Tycoon way back, and it's like there was uh-huh. an outcome in Zoo Tycoon where you know like a fence could break or something, and and a bear would get out and rampage, or a cheetah would get out. Mm-hmm. It's like I was imagining a game where like that could happen, but after the bear gets out and kills like five civilians it becomes like elected president of the zoo and actually gets to go around and just eat whatever <laughs> it wants uh not quite in this game i so i originally was annoyed or not really annoyed but like i i was not happy with how the game was playing because the things that i wanted to do and what i thought i was doing was interacting with these systems and the outcomes that i was hoping for were not happening and I thought it was obtuse and unclear, Mm -hmm. but the more I got into it, I think that is the point. Yeah. And I think you are like, that is what this game is trying to say is like, now that is Nate. Also, that is exactly what I have come to expect from Nerial games. Yeah. Because across all of the reigns, uh, versions that I've played, including their recent space reigns, um, (laughs) the the choices and the action the choice that you you make mm-hmm. often really doesn't feel like it has a direct impact uh like a, a sometimes feels like it has a logical reason for impacting the various meters that you're managing but often doesn't one thing i'll say for this game is that it's a lot cuter to look at than those games but it also makes the kind of under the hood it feels like the meter kind of thing is still working the same way it does in the other narial games like here uh rather than having four meters at the top of the screen you have uh, a number of sheep that are sitting and looking and reading the laws uh you have the condition of the roof uh on the various buildings uh you have the piles uh rise and fall of the piles of grain in in the shed uh, and uh, I don't know if I'm missing any others. The I guess there's the windmill, windmill but the, the yeah, the yeah. Fan, yeah, yeah, the f- fences and windmills. 
Yeah. Um, and, and some of those are all mechanically treated very similar. And in fact, in, in some circumstances, when you mouse over a choice, you see the impact that it's going to have. So for example, um, I did take a screenshot when I chose to suffer for the cow uh, because it was just such an evocative verb. By the way, the Laura, you asked earlier what, what it was, what was the choice? There was a scenario in year four where uh, one of the cows needed um, it's calf to be turned. Uh, mm. I, I don't know how much yes. you know about birthing. farms. Like it was having- I know. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I was having birthing problems. Um, and the cows were saying, you know, if Jones was here, he would come and turn the calf. Um, and I think you had a choice. You had two choices. Uh, you could select, um, uh, sorry, bad pig, uh, snowflake. Snowball. No, 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 Napoleon. Bad, Napoleon. No, bad pig. Squealer. Napoleon. Napoleon or Squealer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It I mean, was is there case, really a good pig? Let's be clear. Napoleon's verb was refuse help, uh, and the cow's verb was suffer, but Na- Napoleon's circle uh, was shown with a green upward arrow, and uh, suffer was a red downward arrow. Now, that does indicate this is going to raise or lower something, but it's also not... V- wasn't visually clear here what was going to be raised or lowered. I think it was animalism. Um, so it was interesting. That was a that was a that was a tough choice. Yeah, I think there are some random events uh, from the book, and I think there are some must-have events. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying very hard not to overwork boxer the wonderful horse um because I remember being very upset when he went to the glue factory. And I was like, if I just don't wear him out this will be fine. <laughs> but eventually he's like, I'm getting old. Cause it's like you're five or six. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's like, I'm getting old. I hope I have a good retirement. And then uh, in my scenario, Napoleon swooped in and put him in a car and all the animals chased after it yelling. It's a trick. It's a trick. Get yes. him off. And oh, he still goes. Here's your gold watch, buddy. Yeah. But yeah. the gates is, the gates are locked. And it's then, also yeah. tricky. Cause he does the best work. Like if he does for collecting hay. So if you need the most amount of hay, Use your buddy boxer. He'll do two X. Yeah. Yep. He'll feed everybody. I think every animal has I there's probably more going on, but I think the animals have like health and morale. Or I think are there two like underlying metrics. I did figure out at the end of my like year seven game that you could open up the book, the handbook, and look at the animals, and if they are in a bad place, they have a little circle that's bleeding around them. Oh, I didn't notice yeah. that. And then you can I'm, see the dead skeleton also, of the dead animals. Yeah, yeah I definitely saw this. This is one of my favorite things because uh, this this bit of UI is just oblique enough that it is interesting, uh, but it's also very visual and fun. Like there there are some of the animals um, in mine. I took a screenshot at a certain point, and just as you said, Laura, some of them are. Uh, kind of on a green background versus a red background. Uh, and I think that is indicating their current state of mind. You can also see it on their dejected faces. Um, some of them have been scratched out in red pen, and some of them are skeletons. And I think the ones that were scratched out in red pen are the ones who have run away as though they have been kind of erased from or the Or exiled. Uh, I had, yeah, someone, I had someone scratched out in red pen who had been kicked mm-hmm. out of the farm. Yeah. The- yeah, but to to discuss the the book UI itself, I think is a worthy point of discussion here because um the first thing you have 
is the endings, which they call destinies. And I think there are six of these. No, they're not even, it, it was, it's a little confusing. I think they are all, there's like destinies are just high level situations that the game can be in. So there's things like surveillance, songless, revisionist, things like that, where you've sort of created a world that is of that. So like surveillance, mm. that's the one that I ended up with on my first playthrough, which is the birds are spying on everyone. And it's a major part of the game is what mm-hmm. the birds are doing. So my round, my game had a lot of bird talk and like the birds telling everyone what they were seeing and what they weren't seeing. Um, and that goes away. And then there's like what almost felt like achievements that you get for different outcomes that get stamped in this book and maintain throughout your game. Yeah. The achievements. I mean, the look of this is also really nice. It looks like a passport, but with, uh, stamps that are things like, uh, you know, a a birthday cake for having survived one year or a, uh, the, the, the flag for happy farm. Uh, but also things like, uh, the death of snowball, etc. So, I mean, that's all very fun. Um, and then there's also a page on the humans of the world, which is pretty sparse. There's not very many human characters in the story. Yeah, I think it's nice to have a secondary gauge of what you've done and what you haven't, especially in a game with replayability. Uh, this is probably one of the nicest looking ones because each of the achievements, you can also tap into it even before you've gotten it, unless it's secret, to find out what exactly happy farm means. It means you reach maximum animalism. Um, I think this, the way they introduce the handbook is fun because you are trashing the house and then you look on the shelf and you pull this handbook out. So it actually even feels a little bit more organic than like, press this button and you can see the UI. They, they, they made a concentrated effort to make it feel part of the world. Yeah, I like that. So I want to hear more about what happened in your guys' games because it's funny how this game made me feel like I had almost no control over the narrative at times. Yeah. But somehow I had a completely different narrative and outcome than you guys did. Um, so I know there's eight endings. Mm-hmm. I believe my... The main playthrough I did, I I lasted all seven years and got the true ending in, in that it's the ending from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there is a mm-hmm. true way to play this, but I did get the one that is the same as the last page of the novel. Um, I, I tried so hard to just destroy that windmill and just never build it. And I kept not building the windmill, which is probably how I got to seven years is I just kept refusing to build the windmill. Um, but I, at the same time, like animalism won, like the pigs won, the pigs moved into the house, the pigs were closed, the pigs drank alcohol, like all the stuff I didn't want happening happened. Boxer died. You know, I I want to know how much control you guys felt you had in this game. I had a very different story than yours. Um, in mine, I I think I, I, the guiding principle around most of my choices was I... I, I just disregarded Napoleon for almost the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had several things that were quite different from the novel. Um, we did build the windmill. Uh, I was pro windmill. Uh, I think, you know, they, they, if they start oh, milling correction. their own, I was pro windmill until Napoleon sicked the dogs on snowball and he ran away. And Same. then I was like, no windmill for you, mm. Napoleon. So just to clarify, <laughs> 
<laughs> I was pro snowball windmill. Some of the kind of key points in my story were um, I I did get the the story track where Napoleon dies, mm. How and did you do that? Uh, that was interesting. So there was a um, there was a battle. So he died in battle um, where the farmers tried to retake uh, the manor farm. And, um, I was just like, go to the front lines, a snowball, um, or sorry, Napoleon. Uh, and basically I, I tried to send all the pigs, uh, off to, off to die in battle. Um, and yeah, so he didn't make it home. So, uh, the, the, it kind of the, the best possible pig I, I, at the time was, was squealer. So I guess squealer by default takes over there. And I will say something here a li- that was a little odd about my game, which is uh, this happened pretty, it felt pretty late in the story. I want to say it was like year four or five. Um, the death of Snowball did not stop him from having dialogue for quite some time. Uh, oh. Sorry, the death, of, the death of Napoleon. Sorry, I need to get my pigs my pigs in a row you sound just like we all did in middle school (laughs) (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah so exactly napoleon napoleon dies in battle and then like immediately thereafter like people are talking to him which definitely was a bug but uh so and i so what i didn't get was what i really wanted to see which would be like a lot of the animals reacting to the death of napoleon which is kind of a bummer um, the, the long-term effect of that on the story, he did eventually stop talking. Um, and the, the farm lasted a very long time. I made it into year seven, but by the time I got to year seven, I was getting, um, like huge swaths of time where, uh, it would just, it would just like advance almost the entire year, uh, with, with no events. And then, um, and then at the end, uh, oh, I had a few things. I think one thing's worth mentioning is some of the fun characters that show up. I don't know if anyone else had the goat or the camel. Yeah. Yes. yes I had the goat. I never yes. saw a camel. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, the camel. Was oh, cool. yeah. The camel was terrific. Um, yeah, the, both the goat and the camel were were really instrumental in helping me keep the farm running uh, because they were good at, like, bringing in the wheat mm. uh, or the hay or what have you. Um uh, and the camel is probably my favorite addition to the story because uh, he brings this terrific outsider perspective to the farm. Um, but then uh, right there at the end, we were just losing animals to starvation left and right. Uh, and the farm was completely depopulated. And uh, once all the animals were dead, the humans came back. Oh, uh, So, Shane, I had the same outcome just a little bit earlier than you. So I uh, my game was mostly centered around. Uh, the expansion of our farm. We annexed some some nearby farms. We got a goose, a camel, a goat. We had all these other new people. I got the achievement of meeting everyone in the game, mm-hmm. which was cool. However, everyone was dead by the end of year four, so we all ran out of uh, <laughs> ran out of food. Uh, a lot of mouths. A lot to of mouths to feed, and everyone was dead. So uh, I had the same thing as you, Laura, with uh, I was trying to build the windmill. And then what felt like out of nowhere, Napoleon chases Snowball out. Mm -hmm. And then we did end up building the windmill. The farmers came and blew it up. 
And yep. then not that long after, everyone on my farm was dead, and the farmers <laughs> came back. You know, I had I had a I had a pretty similar story to Nate's. Um, I've played through the game once and then uh, started again and haven't completed a second playthrough. I'm kind of halfway through. I get I think. But the um, the first playthrough was a little unsatisfying, and I think this might be my main complaint about the game. Um, I so I, I similar to, to Shane, I felt like that the uh, the choices were sometimes confusing, or uh, their their consequences were really unclear, and not just that their consequences were unclear; that sometimes the choices themselves were really unclear what I was choosing between. So. I sort of felt estranged from the choices. I, you know, I'd, I'd be presented with a couple of options, but it wasn't clear to me what the options actually meant. They just sort of hinted mm-hmm. at what you were choosing. And that made me kind of feel like, well, mm, I guess I'll just sort of go with my gut. And I went with my gut and ended up with a, a story that, from what I could tell, really closely mirrored the story of the novel right up to about year four. And then everyone starved to death in, in, in the cold. And I didn't find that to be a particularly like compa- like I really if it were me and I'm I'm not Emily Short I'm not a uh, a like master level narrative designer but like I don't like that ending being there because like it just sort of felt like I didn't know what went wrong and then the game ended early and I couldn't really tell why. Um, and it's like, okay, maybe I should have been like managing my farm stats better, but the whole farm management system seemed like a little bit of a fake. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, it didn't really feel like I was like managing like a, a, a sincere system. It felt like a narrative that had this, I don't know. I, I felt pretty frustrated with that playthrough. Um, I didn't run into any bugs, but can I, I uh, can I bring something up related to what you're saying there, Reagan? Yeah. Um, as far as like the choices that you make around managing the farm, um, I I also kind of would agree that it doesn't feel like you're empowered to make those choices. So I took a screenshot of a particular moment in the game. Um, it always was telling you like things like, uh, okay, so it'll be the first time during the year where you can do some planting Right. It's it, it hasn't presented me the choice to do planting yet um, or and and now, you know, or, or any of the, you know, typical farm work. But now it's already autumn and it's telling me oh, it's beginning to get cold, but it's not too late to, to plant the plant the wheat. So um, it, it's that kind of circumstance where it's like, you know, it, it feels like the, I, I would I would almost always prioritize like feed everyone mm-hmm. highest and and yet they all still starved. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's kind of um, kind of strange. Yeah, there were multiple uh, going into the into the year. The the animals get together and almost every year my group was like, how do we get in this situation? Yeah. I thought we had we had taken care of this. And as a player, I was like, me too, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dog. I thought we had. <laughs> yeah, the hens are just going to doubt again. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also I also thought that I was taking care of everyone. Again, I I do think that's kind of intentional, but as a game, uh, it is it was a it is a little less satisfying when I think we're used to like more hard and fast resource management games. But I will repeat, I think this is what this game wants you to feel like. I think this game wants you to feel like I did everything right and everyone died of starvation. Uh, as like a as an education about the is what the book was yeah. trying to say is how like communism right. is, yeah and there's know, no button 
to murder mm-hmm. the bigs. There's no yeah. button to be like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I will not listen to you pigs. And when right. the pigs take the, you know, the peppies from the mom and they're like, it's for the good of the farm. I'd be like, no, there's, there's no no button to press. Um, it, there's an article that was going around on Twitter. I'm like a week and a half behind on Twitter because it was bad for my health. But um, I I did see last time I was on it an article um, it was from Scientific American of all places about why people hated the last season of Game of Thrones. Stick with me. It said <laughs> that it switched from um, being a sociological TV show like The Wire that was all about systems and it went to a psychological one that was about individual people's choices. Hmm. Um, that is something that has stuck with me and I, I kept thinking about that in this game because there is no psychological in this game. It is all sociological. It is all systems. And it's actually really frustrating because you can't like, you can't be like, Hey, like I kept having Clover help out people because she seemed like the other horse that knew what Mm -hmm. she was doing. It was helpful. And I, I really identify with Clover and there are characters, but like you're not really in their heads and you can't really make them do something that they aren't smart enough to do. And you know, actually I kind of, I found it very frustrating, but I kind of admire it because so many games let you be smarter than the character. Mm. Like almost every game lets you be stronger, smarter, wittier than the character should be. And this game's like, no, it's a sheep. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's an excellent point, Laura. There is a, there is a, there's a version of this game that could have been written where you can get in there and just say, I'm going to have the sheep learn to read. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it's not, that's not how, that's not this story. You know, I think it actually really is um, in that way. And I think a lot of the things we're talking about here, it's incredibly true to the novel. And the fact that you, Laura, wound up with exactly the ending for the novel, but the fact that, you know, you're, you're finding so many of these like terrific elements of the novel in in this uh in this game um you know it works it still it still works really well as a story there's a reason that this story is such a classic and and having this cool presentation of it um is i i am I'm, I'm always a little bit critical of games because i you know i that's why I, I enjoy getting on podcasts and being critical of games but uh you know this is a uh this is a game that has been incredibly well adapted. I, I think I said up front, like I don't, I can't think of another video game that is as, um, as close of an adaptation uh, as this is of a yeah, book. I think it's really true. And I think it's, it's something that clearly is something that they really were thinking a lot about. I saw an interview uh, with the developers and I think also with Emily short um, might've been the one on the escapist.com where they were talking about, uh, their approach to this always sort of being one of like, well, what would Orwell have done or what would Orwell have thought about this? Uh, and that really kind of comes through. They worked with the Orwell estate. And uh, so they're somehow, they're like officially licensed in some way. And you can really see that they're like trying to be as true to Orwell's intent as possible. Um, and in some ways, sort of for better or for wor- or, or worse, like there's, I, I think it would be interesting to see a take on uh, on Animal Farm that tried to uh, maybe extend it more or update it for like modern political situations or you know who knows what else. But like this was very, mo- this is almost exclusively interested in telling Orwell's story 
um, in a new way rather than trying to like extend these ideas to other uh, other political ideas or something like that. Because even when the events are different from the book, they have it at different times, different things happen altogether, Mm -hmm. like different people die. Like it still feels like all the systems are in place and that like moral decay, corruptness of the few ruling over the many will happen in your game no matter what. Yeah, there's no there's yeah. no ending in this where it's like actually communism's good if you do these things correctly. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not going to let you tell a different story than Orwell would have told. There's no way I could see that you can keep socialism. Right. The game won't let you keep socialism. Right. In the ending of my game, uh something I forgot to mention that I actually thought was a really excellent moment was as things were really getting bad and there were so few animals that we just needed to bring in a little bit of grain. Um, And, you know, it was, uh, it was squealer was the last pig standing. Um, Finally squealer, you have an option to send him out and have him start pulling in the grain. And I mean, just having him every time having him out there, out there plowing at the very last, you know, as things were going down, you know, (laughs) <laughs> the writing was on the wall um that i thought that was an effective little yeah that was one of my favorite clicks in I, this game i'll say too you know reagan i think you're right like this could have there's there's like you know animal farm 2 is like a thing that could happen but i'm also glad that they didn't actually try to make anything like an allegory to modern times because i do kind of feel like like a lot of media right now is doing that like you can't watch a show right now without it kind of directly looking into the camera and saying, it's the alt-right, get it? You know, and then, like, yeah. so I'm kind of okay with this game not doing that. Yeah, I, I see that. There was an interview I, I read uh, that I had a quote from Emily Short where she said she'd sp- explicitly considered covering, like, the Cold War and said, like, we put that aside and that didn't have, like, the Cold War plot line if you get into year, like, eight or whatever yeah. because that wasn't Orwell's story. yeah. I'm very judgmental of educational games because mm. almost all of them are mm-hmm. bad. Um, it is very rare that an educational game is made by really good game designers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's something I was going to bring up. Cause like this feels like something that you could absolutely um, like, it's probably part of their business model on this, on this game is like, this has got to be deployed to schools, right? I guarantee that's why it's available. I mean, Nereal is iOS, but like, iOS is so like iPads are so common in classrooms. I'm sure they've got like educational deals to get this out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's called Orwell's animal farm. Right. Right. Like it is a direct tie into the book. Mm -hmm. And I think it would absolutely be um, an interesting experience for like a group of, you know, kids or high school students or whatever. Everyone go play this game and let's talk about like your story and what worked and what didn't work. I will say I, I hope they patch the bugs that are in the game because it's they're not they're not visual bugs. They are like almost emotional ones. Like <laughs> Muriel the goat died and there's a great piece of like if you, Muriel's from the other farm and she had actually been teaching the animals how to read. Mm. Um so when she died in like year 5 they they tell uh Napoleon and they tell Squealer I think that Muriel has died. And he's like, Muriel, is that one of the hens? It's like, no, it's the the goat who's been teaching all of us how to read. And he's like, oh, she wasn't an original comrade. Doesn't matter. Um, that's incredibly powerful. Unfortunately, 
She also died in year six and year seven. Oh, no. Meryl kept dying. And I was like, no. So again, like I think like bugs are more salient in a game like this. So I hope they patch it. I'm sure it won't be a... I I hope it's already gone by the time you guys play it, but like it's in an interactive fiction game. I I don't think I realized how much worse bugs are in a narrative. Yeah. Yeah. A lot hinges on who lives and who Mm -hmm. dies in this story. And uh, that is weird that like the, the real standout bugs for, for both you and I were about uh, animals that had died who continued to play. I mean, of course, if you have that wrong, it's going to be incredibly glaring. That's a glaring. I mean, she wasn't around for like, she was gone on the map. She was dead in the book. I just, yeah. She, she shows the event of her death uh, popped up again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty um blatant with uh with Napoleon. Which yeah, is was like, surprising I, 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 that you both uh you know, I don't know too much about like what it takes to launch a game, but it is surprising that two of the four of us had that same thing where where a a, a comrade dies and then is referenced alive multiple times or dying again. And both so, in late game, it sounds like. Yeah. So, so I have to imagine, yeah, this is probably happening for a lot of players. Well, I don't know. It, it, it's it's you have to have, be around for a long time. My stuff didn't start cropping up till six or seven, so I, I think like maybe it's mm-hmm. just for late game players and they didn't catch it. So yeah, but yeah. well, we haven't talked about it yet. How long did it take you all to get to late game? I can't imagine anyone has bought this game and doesn't get to late game. You know, like of course my game ended at year four, but I think I played for an hour mm-hmm. before I got to year four. So I Same. think a a run of this game is. One to two hours at the most. I I contacted Emily Short on Twitter and she said ninety to one hundred twenty. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So I think this is a really interesting game in a few ways. I think it's interesting to see a novel, an important novel, uh, directly adapted in in a way that like puts a lot of emphasis on systems while still trying to tell a variation on the same narrative that hits the same themes and has the same sort of message. It's a, it's a really interesting challenge. Um, and they did a really, I think, interesting and good job with it here. And I think, you know, I would probably really encourage that high school student studying animal farm to play this game or, or what have you. I think you're going to understand it a lot more than I did. Yeah. When I read it. Yeah. For sure. sure. It it just seems like a really good way. For me, it was a good way to like re-examine like what did I think of Animal Farm when I read it in middle school and what do I think of it now? And that was really that was really interesting and kind of useful to me. And I could see that Mm -hmm. being really great in an educational context. And if you haven't read Animal Farm since high school or middle school, like like I had, I think this is a really interesting way to sort of revisit its ideas. It doesn't necessarily quite feel like of the moment, like this is the this is the story that you have to read right now because it it sheds light on you know whatever. It's not exactly that, but it's still a really important story that has you know it, it's a touch point in so many ways that I I think it's really cool to see this adapted like this. I'm I've been trying to think yeah. of other books that this would be good for. Does anyone have any thoughts on like what what's the next we like I think we all like this. So what's the next book that Emily Short and the crew <laughs> should turn into an interactive game? Cut if we can't come up with anything we can <laughs> the episode. Uh, Classic but, book? Sure, any book. 
I mean, honestly, I think any of the works of Charles Dickens are would make delightful. Uh, there's just like 30,000 characters oh. and there's so much chance and luck in yeah. those games mm. that I feel like an RNG, like you could, especially if you made like a, like you were just in London of Oliver. I feel like you could just like be in 1800s London and have all the different characters, depending on your playthrough, show up. Like a Charles Dickens Im- I, multiverse. I would love, <laughs> I would love a Bleak House uh, legal <laughs> drama uh, adventure game. Like just Phoenix Wright Bleak House. Systematize, systematize <laughs> the ludicrous legal drama in Bleak Objection. House. And I would love that. By the way, that's a great book. Everyone should read it. I mean, the Pride and Prejudice mm. book's already a board game of just like Oh yeah, Pride and Prejudice you could you could totally do. It already is a board game. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to yeah, think of one the that good have news like a, is we don't need to nominate Around the World in 80 Days. I'm trying to think of like it, yeah. books that have like a this sort of level of like political allegory or other stuff like that to that you could systematize. How about Jurassic Park? <laughs> Life finds a way. I think no, no, that no. is a t- telltale game. There's never been love, a Jurassic Park game. Uh, time right, travel story <laughs> slaughterhouse five. Not like not like this. I think true. Not like this. I think if you took if you took uh, slaughterhouse five uh, and and did that, oh, yeah. you'd have a really great excuse to like play around with uh, jumping around in time and showing all these different different scenes um, in in whatever you know. You could really shuffle the order of scenes in that uh, in creative ways and. Uh, there would be a lot of um, a lot of interesting things you could do with alternate timelines. So I would really oh, like to see Slaughter that. Uh, Five would be great. Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury. I don't know what it would look like, but that have would you be read it? <laughs> Ulysses. Also, a book I haven't. Read. <laughs> okay, uh, go with me here. It's just a simulator uh, of of carrying infinite jest on the subway. <laughs> I bought Anyone that. ask you about that? Like, oh, how, how do you like him? Like, ah, it's just too hard to describe. <laughs> you know, it's just really you deflecting any question about the book because you haven't actually read it yet. You just carry it around with you. Yeah, I bought Infinite Jest for a dollar. And I was like, this is the most pages per penny spent I think I could have done. And then I was like, but I also wasted the dollar because I'm not reading this. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> well... You're just accessorizing. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's for. It's for putting on the shelf behind you in Zoom calls. That's what that book is for, right? <laughs> Listeners, please write in and tell us why we should actually read Infinite Jest. That's clearly what this episode is about. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think we've got time to do a little what's making us happy this week. So Shane, what's making you happy this week? Well, the thing that's making me happy this week, uh, I've got, taken a few weeks to catch up here, but I'm I'm finally settling down to watch the start of season five of The Expanse Ooh. on Amazon Prime. And that is a show that I will recommend to anybody and everybody. Um, let me start by just telling you a little bit about my my start with this kind of series, which really started with a series of books. Uh, the Expanse book series is written by... Uh, uh, James S.A. Corey, I think mm-hmm. is the name, but the name is fake. It's actually two guys. Um, and the two, these two guys have put together uh, a collaboration that churns out, and I mean just at an h- incredible clip, really excellent sci fi. It's, it's adventurous, it has the feel of hard sci fi. Um, it's really fun and really interesting to read. To give you a little bit of background about the story, 
it's a kind of near future where much of the solar system has been colonized. And uh, the the central conflict, especially in the early books, early seasons, is around a war, a kind of a three-way war between Earth, which has evolved into this uh, kind of one-world government, um, and Mars, which is you know still a kind of a young planet full of colonists, uh, has a very different society, um, and the asteroid belt, the uh, the uh, organization of the I guess the OPA. I can't remember. It's like Free Planets mm-hmm. Association, something like that. And um, and the the two things really stand out in this book series. One is the characters. There's a really excellent use of like interchanging the different characters as you go through the series. Uh, there's one central character named James Holden, who's this kind of adventurous starship captain type. He's fine. He's great. I love Holden. He's the least interesting character in the entire thing. Well, that's the thing. Because the what it, what's really good about this series is it has a kind of Game of Thrones level like size to the cast mm-hmm. of characters. And they're adding and changing which side characters are kind of part are core parts of the story as you go from book to book. Um, for example, in book two, they introduce a character who they very smartly added from the very beginning of the television program, uh, a woman named Avasarala, who is a like a little little old Indian lady who is on the, the United Nations, in the UN, like way high up in the government. Yeah, she's like a constantly underestimated power broker uh, in the Earth government. Yes. Diplomat. <laughs> yeah, the she's so good. I mean, as good she's as they did with her in the show, she's incredible in the books. Like really, really terrific characters in this show. And then the second thing that they do really well I mean, there's lots of characters. I could continue to list excellent characters in this book. And 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 Reagan is right. Most of them are not James Holden, who's mm-hmm. uh, just he's kind of the hub of a wheel. He's a protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, he's he's got some layers. He just really cares about his crew, man. Just really cares he really does. about his crew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's he's the James T. Kirk of this show. Um, and then you what you have that is also incredible and is great in both the books and the show is a really good use of hard sci-fi science and technology. Like the, they, they have some kind of imagined future technology and that does kind of get kind of out there the farther into the series that you get, but especially early in the series, the, the tech feels very grounded and, you know, the 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 way that they're flying, you know, the, the timelines of things flying from one planet to another are uh, compressed from what they might be with today's technology, but still, you know, it takes a long ass time to get from Earth to Mars and things like that. So, um, you know, and, and if you if you really like that tech stuff, the book is full of it. The book is full of like descriptions of how everything works and, you know, who invented what and things like that. But um so I can't recommend this show enough. It is in its fifth season, which I believe will be its final season. Six, I um, think, is the last. Oh, they're going to get a sixth season? Excellent. Okay, here's the thing. But they know. They knew going into fifth. Yeah, the yeah, they're playing. The last, that, so it's planned. I, I, that's good. And and the, here's the thing. The show was originally on the Sci-Fi Channel. 
when the sci-fi channel decided they weren't going to be making any more of it, um, I, I am led to understand that Jeff Bezos, who is a big fan of the show, uh, was personally involved in moving it to Amazon Prime and funding it. And imagine what it must be like to be a billionaire <laughs> and to be able to personally uncancel your favorite <laughs> your favorite big budget sci-fi show. I mean, it's a that's a plot line that could happen on the expanse. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's communism. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> it in, really is. I'm in the third season right now. Me uh, too. We have a policy that we don't uh, we only watch it at night on the projector because it looks gorgeous and i think the funniest thing to us is uh so the credits are absolutely spectacular and they have the tiniest writing that we are squinting to read like mm. labeling everything on the map that we love watching at like a hundred <laughs> inches and then we're like what do normal people experience is it just like a fuzzy line <laughs> like <laughs> but it's it, pretty it's, it's pretty tiny text uh, you're right about the intro like the, the intro is really cool it has this uh, reminds me of the game of thrones intro where they just sort of fly over that like fake map except it's like planets from space and showing how things changed over time there's like a shot in there of like sea level rise consuming the uh uh the statue of liberty or them having to raise the statue of liberty out of the out of the ocean and stuff like that is really really good um and yeah no can't can't recommend it enough uh well-produced great books um yeah keep at it yeah i like keep I like at the it, books Bezos. better than the show but the show is so much more accessible because the books are quite there's a lot of those books uh so i would definitely recommend checking out the show and if you enjoy it do check out the books i think they're a little little bit better um i uh i had a a, a weird itch recently i don't think i've mentioned this on the show before um yeah you usually don't tell us about your like medical issues <laughs> God damn it. I'm uh, um, I I'm playing I'm playing a game called Captain Get him Shane. I'm playing a game called Captain Tsubasa Rise of the New Champions. This is an anime AF soccer game, not something that I'm usually into um specifically soccer games, but here's how I came to this. Uh first of all, baseball in 2020 made me think, hmm, maybe I don't hate sports. Maybe I just hate real sports. So that's ingredient mm. number one. <laughs> um, and, and then... Uh, Poor Nate. And, and I, I, uh, I, I also was hearing a lot of discourse about, um, about Pyre. Uh, like we were talking a lot about Pyre on our Discord recently after uh, Hades came out. And I was thinking, mm, yeah, I really liked playing that too. And then I then I heard a little bit about Captain Subasa Rise of the New Champions, which I'll explain in a little bit more detail in a second. Um, it's basically just an anime AF soccer game. And I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe I would play a soccer game if it just didn't star real people and instead had anime AF people with giant hair and like super power moves. And that's exactly what this is. And I'm actually really, really enjoying it. Um, it, I don't want to like sell it too strongly because it is still just basically a soccer game. Uh, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, Captain Tsubasa is an extremely long running manga. And there have been, I think numerous, uh, anime series based on it over the years. And it's about this kid who is the, the world's greatest, prodigy of soccer i think they call him something like oh the in the manga it calls him something like the the heaven set lord of soccer or something like that it's 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 extremely over the top and and his his uh his tagline is 
the ball is my friend. And that's because back when he was a <laughs> tiny child, many, many years ago, uh, he was playing soccer in the street and was uh, and a car nearly hit or actually did hit him. But because he was holding a soccer ball, the the force of the of the car impact hit the soccer ball instead of him and bounced him out of the way. And he was completely unharmed. He landed on the soccer ball as, as well. And, and after that, when the soccer ball saved his life, he realized that the ball is his friend. And so he dedicated his life to being great at soccer. And this game takes place when he's in middle school and he's already become uh, the most talked about person in all of middle school soccer. And this game would, would lead you to believe that middle school soccer is the world's most important sport. Uh, because we're talking about these, these middle school matches between regional middle schools in Japan all take place in these incredible arenas with literally thousands upon thousands of screaming fans and fluttering banners. And there are, there are people on both sides whose absolute like life is on the line in every single one of these middle school soccer tournaments. Um, and, uh, it's just so over the top and silly and fun. Um, I have a question. Excuse me. Uh, Trent Krim, the independent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. Um, yes, Trent. Is, is this little soccer kid gifted with any supernatural powers? Well, apart from the ball being his friend, um, he has a, a number of special moves. It's actually kind of interesting in a, in a game sense in that, like, you play as this whole team, right? It's a soccer game. You can take control of any of the players. Um, but Subasa is so much better than anyone else that it's ridiculous. So, like, that's a kind of a weird thing to see in a video game. Like, the one one of your players on your team is, like, uniquely fantastic at the sport. Um but all, many of the players, not all of them, but many of them, Subasa included, do have these sort of special moves that verge on like absurd, uh, uh, you know, superpowers. And so, for example, like what one of them has like a move. They all have a name. So like one of them will have like the the flying tiger kick. And when you do it, uh, you know, the the screen changes to this special animation where he does this like weird flying kick and a giant spectral tiger leaps out of the ground and, and appears behind him in frame. And, uh, and you know, if the goalie catches the ball, uh, there the ball is literally on fire and is spinning around like a little dynamo and, and physics are defied. <laughs> All right. It's like Rocket League. It's, yeah, it's Reagan, wild. So, so Reagan, you started Ted, this. Yes, we'll do. <laughs> uh... You started this off as saying, I really liked baseball. Maybe I do like sports, which is a mind-boggling connection to make. <laughs> and then based off of everything you just said about why you like this game, I'm going to go ahead and say you still don't like sports. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You don't understand. At yes, I, I, I found I just like fake sports. You like the narrative that can that can be formed around bonkers magic sports. Yes. Which is fine. Exactly. And I do too. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's really what this works. So the, the way this is structured is kind of funny. It's like it's telling a season of like a super over the top shonen uh, sports anime. Um, and so like it will have it if you're playing the story mode uh, before each match, there's a lengthy story scene where it sets up who your team is and where they're at who the other team is, who their key players are, what the emotional stakes are for that opposing team. 
Um, and uh, then when the match begins, at several points throughout the match, it will find moments to give you little more, little additional bits of story. So like, uh, I think it's like watching for things like, okay, Subasa and this other main opposing player are near each other on the field. Let's take control away from the player and play a little scene. And uh, you see it play out. And it may have some con- some uh, some consequences. So, for example, there can be scripted goals that you cannot avoid the other team taking on you because it's part of the story, right? Um, but I thought that was really interesting. This this like approach to storytelling, where like it it sticks story into your game, uh, into into a, into the sports mm. game in a way that's I thought pretty neat. So I'm enjoying it a lot. It's uh, it's goofy. It's not great. Uh, it's kind of clunky in certain ways, but I'm liking it. And if anyone didn't pick up on it, uh, I was I was making references to Ted Lasso, oh, yeah. which, which is the rules. the yes. if you were choosing one soccer based piece of fiction, I would encourage you to find Ted Lasso this year. Uh, but I don't know. Reagan can <laughs> start <laughs> with liked- Ted Lasso, then go to Reagan's game. Uh, I'll say for me this week. So we covered the game a couple weeks ago. Uh, Hades. And I didn't get too much into it on the episode. Uh, but as much as everyone has loved the writing and the sort of interplay between the characters, um, you know, that that part of the game had had not really been the part that I enjoyed. I've been way more into just the actual functional like gameplay. I really enjoyed it uh, from that level. And I didn't really care too much about the writing, even though I acknowledge that it is fantastic. That said, since we recorded that episode, I had only uh, made one. I had cleared it one time when we recorded that episode. The story between your first clear and what happens after you make more and more clears, avoiding spoilers here, I actually have come to act to really enjoy the story and where it's going. So I, you know, because of the nature of the show, we we only have like small windows to play it. So I think I just want to add that uh, now that I've actually defeated Hades multiple, multiple, multiple times, the story element of it has really picked up for me. And I've been really, really enjoying it as I get deeper and deeper into that element of the game. That said, I this is a continuation, as, as Reagan said, of our conversation from the Discord. I still think Pyre is my favorite Supergiant game. But I have come to enjoy the story of Hades way more than I did before getting my first clear. So if you're out there and you're still playing this game and you haven't cleared it yet and you're wondering why people like the story as much as they do, that's kind of how I was feeling. And I have come around more now that I have gotten much further than I was before. Awesome. So that's my thing that's making me happy. That's what I've been playing in between killing all of my animals on animal farm is I'm still getting through Hades. So we have friends in Seattle. Cause we used to live there uh, who do movie nights uh, once a month. And it's a little bit wild to do a movie night with someone who is three hours times difference from you. Um, but it's exceptionally well done. They do. They did like a, a white elephant type thing where everyone drew a random number Uh, And then you that corresponded to one of like 50 Christmas movies. And if you won a trivia competition that someone had written, your winner would win. Um, And the person who won uh, was the champion for a movie called Eight Women or Huit Femme, 
if you speak French, because it's a French movie, uh, never heard of it. But um, strap in, because this movie is uh, really weird. It's a French, lightly Christmassy murder mystery, and it's a musical, and there might be some light lesbian in it. Um, it's just like... In 1950, like, it's so light and frothy that it would, like, blow away in a second. Like, the costumes are incredible. <laughs> Everything is super I like all, Out of all the adjectives, you 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 qualified oh. as light both its Christmassiness and its lesbianism. Oh, yeah, it is. Both of them are light. Um, it was one of the best experiences I've had of communally watching in a chat of a movie because people were judging the musical numbers. People were, like, just reveling in the wallpaper and the costumes. And then suddenly, like, a weird plot turn would happen. Everyone would go, why did they hit that old woman in a wheelchair with a vase? Like, Why? Um, now oh you got God. me. Now I'm it, in. That sounds I, and great. And then, like, she stands up and she's not in the wheelchair. Everything weird in this movie happens. Why is it a musical? It was directed, uh, like, the choreography is high school level, but that kind of makes it more charming. Um, it is uh, a movie that I immediately went to all of my friends who watch bad movies and was like, this is one you definitely haven't seen. And it it is not bad and it's not good, but it is inexplicable and it is charming. <laughs> so I don't know that if I'm great. recommending uh, this movie, but if you are trying to do something that feels, you know, it's that cozy murder mystery of who killed the dad. And then by the end of it, you're just, you know, if he was inspired by eight and a half, because each woman gets a song about how she feels. <laughs> like It's so weird, guys. Um, I love a good bad movie. That's one of my it, favorite things is to watch a, a good bad movie. And it's, you never get a good bad movie that is also so beautiful to look at just the entire time. Like all of these women are, they've, I think almost all of them have won like Best Actress Award at Cannes. So it's as if like Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon and all these people just did a weird murder mystery musical for <laughs> for no reason. Like that's, that's what awesome. this feels like. Um, highly recommend it. And I also really recommend if you haven't in this uh, quarantine season just done a Discord chat with people while watching a movie, um, especially with people who you don't know their partners very well, like. Almost any movie becomes memeable. You will find out this quarantine season. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised really we haven't fun. done that as a group. We should we should pick a movie and do that sometime. Yeah, Maybe I'm doing our, a yeah, Bridgerton Discord watch patrons. party on December 26th, and we all are making paper fans, Ooh. and we all are like a bottle of booze that we're going to drink through most of Bridgerton. So it's it. I watch along sound sad, but they're really fun if your friends are funny. That's that sounds like a blast. Well, listeners. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. You can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find a contact form. You can let us know what games you think or you're interested in. Uh, you can find our Twitter at underscore short game. And you can also find us on Patreon. The show is supported by our beloved patrons. Uh, and uh, every patron, a dollar a month or up, uh, gets immediate access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the show. We talk about games that we're playing. We plan things out there. We are in 
Game of the Year season. We're working on our Game of the Year coverage right now, and we should be releasing that probably next episode, next week. Uh, So uh, come back for that. We're looking forward to that. And if you want to talk about your Games of the Year, uh, our Discord is a great place to do that. We're going to be opening up a channel for that right now. So uh, join us there, patreon.com slash the short game. Of course, you can also support the show by letting other people know about it. This is a great time of year to let people know, hey, you know, if, you, if you're interested in the kinds of games that I like, the uh, this podcast has a Game of the Year episode. You could forward them that, or you could let them know to check out our website. So uh, here's all the stuff that we played over the year. Uh, so uh, help us support the show by helping us grow the show. We really appreciate that kind of thing as well. Uh, and of course, uh, you can find me on the internet on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at Nate STL. And Shane, where can we find you? On Twitter at 8BitShane. And once again, listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. <laughs>